All right, take your Bibles and turn to the 21st Psalm. Psalm 21. Remember, Psalm 21 is a psalm that goes with Psalm 20. It's a couplet, so to speak. What we find in Psalm 20 is a pre-battle psalm, and it's a prayer. But what we find in 21 is a post-battle psalm. It is a prayer of praise, where we have one followed by the other. Think about it. How often have you prayed for something and the Lord's answered your prayer and you forgot to praise Him for that? You forgot to give Him thanks because of a prayer answered. You know, oftentimes we'll forget that part. It's easy to forget thanksgiving. In the good times, it's easy to forget to give God thanks. But when we're in need and when we're hurting or if we're sick or if we've got a problem, you know what, we're quick to call upon the Lord. Reminds me of a story I read about, I think it was the Queen of England back in the 1800s. It was about the turn of the century and they wanted to celebrate and they had all these horses and carriages and everything out and big hoopla because the Queen and how she led the country through wars and how all this was going on. And so they wanted to have... A, a poet writes something. Some of y'all may have heard of Rudyard Kipling. and They chose him to write the poem. So here's what Kipling wrote. God of our fathers, known of old, Lord of our far-flung battle line, beneath whose awful hand we hold dominion over palm and pine, Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. Far called, our navies melt away. On dune and headland sinks the fire. Lo, all our pomp of yesterday is one with Nineveh and Tyre. Judge of the nations, spare us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. Rudyard Kipling understood that nations like individuals forget God. That's where we are in the United States of America, at least half the population, if not truly more. And like individuals, forget God and need always to be reminded to thank Him. But He was not liked for having said what He put in a poem. In fact, the popular opinion had it that Kipling was passed by in the search for a new poet laureate because of this recessional. In other words, they looked over him because they wanted a poet that would sing the praises of the Queen. And yet what he did, he honored the God of all the earth. He was passed over. In this psalm, if you notice, one of the things, uh, one of the commentators I read behind, he often goes with the, uh, the writing right before the psalm, goes to the end of the last psalm. So if you look in Psalm 22, it's got these words, Ajaleth Shehar to the chief musician upon Azaleth Shehar. That literally means the hind of the morning. It can also be translated as the day dawn. Now, why would the hind of the morning and the day dawn, how does that have something in common? Uh, this writer went on to say, this gives us a clue about the psalm. It's kind of like when the morning comes and you see a buck with antlers coming over the horizon, all you see first is the horns, right? As you see those horns come up, 
It, horns are symbol of strength. Here is the hind of the morning. So it kind of gives a little bit of a clue as far as here comes forth strength in the glory of the morning. I want you to notice the similarities here between Psalm 21 and 20. In verse 1, the Word of God says, The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord. Look back just one verse, back in Psalm 20. Save, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. There's the reference of the king and the reference to the Lord, and there in the previous, there's the reference to the Lord and the reference to the king. So it's kind of a continuation right there. Notice down in verse 2. In verse 2, Thou hast given him his heart's desire. Looking back in Psalm 20 in verse 4. Grant thee according to thine own heart. And here what we find in verse 2 in the 21st, Thou hast given him his heart's desire. Then it says, And hast not withholden the request of his lips. Listen in verse 5. We will rejoice in thy salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. And that is what God has done. Verse 7, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. If you look back in verse 7 in the previous psalm, it says, Some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. There's a lot of similarities from Psalm 20 to Psalm 21. You can make those connections and you can see those connections as you read through those verses and you compare those verses. Both psalms are royal psalms because both of them talk about the king. Notice first off in the first couple of verses, what we see is a very joyful king. The king is very joyful, therefore he's giving thanks. He remembers what God did, therefore he's going to praise God for it. In verse 1 he says, The king shall joy in your salvation, O Lord. And in your salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire and hast not withholden the request of his lips. Selah. Here, notice why the psalmist, the king, King David, is praying this prayer. He's praying because he's thankful. He's thankful for... He mentions the salvation. That means the deliverance. God delivered him. He's also the God who hears. You have given, a, given him his heart's desire and have not withholding the request of his lips. You know what? It's good to know God hears our prayers. That God hears our cries. Hear David is emphasizing that. There are times, you ever notice, there are times when we lose a battle. Has anybody ever goofed up and fallen? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's times we lose battles even if we're praying. But that does not mean we're defeated. The battle has been fought and won, as we read in this context here. And though it's been fought and won, sometimes when we lose battles, it's necessary that we lose a battle to win the whole campaign. That's a good little thought to ponder 
coming past an election from yesterday. Sometimes you got to lose battles to win the whole campaign. Ultimately, the Lord wins. We know that. So I want you to notice what it says in verse 2. Here we find the psalmist, the king, his desires have been fulfilled. He says, thou hast given him his heart's desire. Now, wouldn't you like your prayers answered in such a way that all the desires of your heart are fulfilled? That all your prayers are answered? And God is not withholding the request of the king's lips. Think about that. The king is rejoicing. He's having joy because prayer has been answered. When you pray, and you're praying for something specific, and when God answers, doesn't that stir up your heart a little bit to joy? You know what? There are some people that don't have that joy. Some people don't experience answered prayer because they're prayerless. They don't pray. You know what? If you don't pray, don't expect your prayers to be answered. That's a pretty obvious thing. Sometimes people pray wrongfully. Sometimes people pray, but there's hindrances in the way to your prayer life. Let me ask you personally, how is your prayer life? Are your prayers sometimes hindered? Or do you joy because God hears and answers? I want you to notice a few passages of Scripture. We're going to run through these kind of quickly. But these few passages of Scripture, what they do is they show us certain things that cause us to have our prayers hindered. I want you to notice, first off, over in the Gospel according to John, in John's Gospel, in chapter 15. John chapter 15, and notice down in verse 7. If... You abide in me, and my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now notice what Jesus said. There's a conditional statement here. If you abide in me, remain, stick with, walk with, abide with the Lord... Here, the Word of God promises you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So sometimes a hindrance might be you're not walking with the Lord. Look over in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew chapter 17, now we'll be flipping through quite a few verses of Scripture, but I want you to see some hindrances to what could possibly be even your own prayer life. In Matthew chapter 17 and down in verse 20, Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Sometimes your prayers are not answered because of unbelief. You've got to believe God is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Look over in the book of James. In James chapter 4, 
James, the fourth chapter. Notice what the Word of God says down in verse 2. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have, and you cannot obtain. You fight more, yet you have not, because you ask amiss. If you don't ask, you're not going to get. If you ask for the wrong reason, you're not going to get. Notice what it says in verse... Down in verse 3, that's asking amiss. But in verse 2, notice what it says. They're just, you're just not asking because you're lusting after. Therefore, you cannot obtain. You have not because you don't ask. When you ask, you ask amiss, you're not going to get. Look in James, in James verse 3 again, is basically saying you're asking when you're praying for selfish motives. If you pray for selfish motives, don't expect God to answer your prayer. That's a hindrance to your prayer life. Look in chapter 5 in verse 16. In verse 16, it says, Confess your faults one to another, pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Sometimes there's unconfessed sin. Sometimes we sin against others and we don't confess that sin. You know what? Your prayer will not be effectual. It will not produce effects. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and down in verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Talking about their wife. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your what? Prayers be not hindered. Husbands, you can hinder your prayers by not giving honor to your wife. Notice what the Word of God says back in 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John, the third chapter, look down in verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. In other words, if you don't want your prayers answered, don't do his commandments. Be disobedient, and your prayers will be hindered because of your disobedience. Look in chapter 5 of 1 John. Chapter 5 of 1 John, look down in verse 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Here, notice the condition here. You've got to pray in accordance to the will of God. If you pray not according to God's will, don't expect your prayers to be answered. Very same principle that we find there, and it's over in the book of Psalms. But I want you to notice first, look over in Luke chapter 18. In Luke the 18th chapter, our Lord tells a parable. 
In this parable, it's found in the first seven verses. Chapter 18, it says, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? Sometimes our prayers are not persistent enough. Sometimes we do not continue in prayer. Therefore, our prayers are hindered. Look over in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, notice down in verse 23 and 24. Verse 23 says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath thought against thee, leave there thy gift. Before the altar, and go thy way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. In other words, there's times when we sin against others. And that sin still is unrepented of. If it's unrepented of, your prayers will be hindered. Look in chapter 6 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 and down in verse 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. You want your prayers hindered? Just be repetitive in vain repetitions over and over and over and over. That's what the heathen do. Look over in John chapter 14. John the 14th chapter... John 14 and down in verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 says, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, let me instruct you, that does not mean when you get through praying what you're praying and then you tag Jesus' name on to it, that automatically means he's going to hear and answer. That's not what that's saying. It does not mean when you get through at the end of your prayer, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, that God's going to grant what you will. Notice here what what Jesus is, is instructing here. He's instructing that it's got to be in line with the Lord's will. The same principles laid out in the Psalm 37. Listen to what it says in Psalm 37 in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. If your will lines up with the Lord's will, God is going to grant your prayer. The problem is our will is so out of whack with God's will that our prayers are hindered. How do we line up our prayers with God's will? You've got to know God's Word. You know God's will by God's Word. So the more you're in the Word, the more you know His will. Let me show you one other passage of Scripture. It shows a hindrance. It's over in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 28, Proverbs 28, look down in verse 9. 
The Word of God says, He that turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. In other words, if you do not listen to the Word of God, your prayer is abomination to God. You want your prayer hindered? Don't listen to the Word. Now that lines right up with lining up with the will of God and the name of Jesus. When we ask in Jesus' name, it's just like the Lord himself asking to be down the same line as his will. But if you don't listen to his word, don't expect your prayers to be answered. Listen to what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 21 and verses 1 and 2. The king shall joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire... And you have not withholden the request of his lips. Selah. Now you remember what Selah means. Selah. What do you think about that? Or it can also mean pause and think about that. What do you think about that? Here, the psalmist is instructing us that his joy is in the Lord God. And he's rejoicing greatly. This ain't no little rejoicing. He is downright happy. He's happy because God has heard his prayer. And God has heard his desire of his heart and the request of his lips. And God has granted him that. I want you to notice this great cause of this joy that's coming from the king. It's because of the work of God. The cause, the mainstay cause of his joy... And the mainstay cause of your joy is that the grace of God comes to us. Listen to what it says in verse 3. For thou preventest. The word preventest means meets or to go before. For thou, for God, meets him, meets the king with the blessings of goodness. God's grace came to the king. You do not earn grace. You do not merit grace. You do not deserve grace. But here the grace of God came to the king. And with the blessings of goodness, you know what? Every one of us have experienced the goodness of God. God has blessed us with his grace. The grace of God has appeared unto man in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because His grace has appeared unto us, therein is salvation. Therein is the grace of God in salvation. But you know what? God's grace is multifaceted. It's not limited to saving our souls. God's grace sometimes puts up restraints around us. God keeps us from certain things in certain areas, certain places, certain peoples. God is the one who puts restraints in place. That's grace. God is the one who prepares the way before us. Even in the presence of our enemies, as we'll see later in Psalm 23. God's grace prepares. It's God's providence that provides. It's God's grace guiding us. As we're going through life, it is the grace of God that accomplishes God's purpose. It is God that uses you to accomplish His purpose, and that's grace. 
God don't have to do that, but that's grace. And that's all the more to praise Him for. God gives more grace, is what the Word of God tells us. He gives grace to the humble. You know what? It's an inexhaustible supply. How many times has God saved us from accidents? As we terminology use accidents. I remember years ago, and I think I've shared this a time or two in a sermon. You might remember this. Years ago, before Sarah was even around, Lydia and I were traveling to Florida. And we got stuck in traffic in Tennessee. It seemed like a couple hours just bumper to bumper to bumper to bumper to bumper to bumper. And I learned a lesson. As we're waiting and waiting and going a little snail at a pace at a time, we finally get through the scene of an accident. An airplane landed on the road, and there was a totally torched car by the airplane. You know what? It was God's grace that I went in the front of the line. And I'm thankful. But you know what? That's just one incident. How many incidents has God kept you from that you don't even know about? Here is the grace of God. This grace that David experienced. He's saying, you've met me with blessings of goodness. And then he says, you set a crown of pure gold on his head. As we think of this crown being set upon the head of David... Possibly when he conquered a king from Psalm 20. Possibly the crown that was passed down from Saul, but Saul didn't put the crown on his head. David says, God crowned him king. Israel didn't crown him king. God crowned him king. And he's acknowledging God's power that put that crown upon his head. Notice it says in verse 4, He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him. Even length of days, forever and ever, it is God who gave David life. I can honestly say I stand here tonight because God's given me life. Some have passed on before us. There's a lot of people a lot younger than me that have already passed on. And you know what? They're younger than you. And yet God has spared your life. He's given you life. And David, what he's reflecting upon, God's given him life through the battle. Here in verses 3, all the way down through verse 7, you find what would be called a messianic prophecy. It all points toward the Lord Jesus Christ because when it says you've given him length of days forever and ever... That could refer to the Davidic covenant. It could refer to Jesus Christ coming in His world and He is reigning forever and ever and ever. David had victory. And because of this victory and blessings, all the glory goes to God. Notice what he says. He's been crowned. He's been shown goodness and blessing and no doubt the crowd is Long live the king and praising King David and thankful for King David. But notice what he says in verse 5. His glory is great. The king's 
the king, David, David's glory is great in your salvation. In other words, he is attributing the glory to the Lord and to the Lord alone. He says, honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him. David was crowned with honor. He was crowned with majesty, the praises of the people, but he's giving glory to God through it all. How many people would like to receive that glory to themselves? How many people do that in our day and time? In verse 6 he says, For you have made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. He is forever blessed. David has experienced God's power. And because of that experiencing God's power in a day of trouble, God's delivered him... He says, I am blessed forever. But notice what he attributes the blessedness. What's the greatest blessing in David's life? There's victory. There's riches when you conquer. There's adulation. There's the crown. But he says, thou hast made him exceeding glad with your countenance. You know what? It was God's presence that brought David the greatest joy. For thou hast made him blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with your countenance. This goes back to look back in Psalm 16. You remember the last verse in Psalm 16 down in verse 11? Thou wilt show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures evermore. David is in the presence of God and he realizes God's presence. When you realize you're in God's presence and you're his child, there is fullness of joy. I believe we experience that here on earth to a degree. To a great degree when you experience God's presence. What happens you become exceeding glad because of his countenance. He makes his face to shine upon us. In his presence there is that fullness of joy. How often we little earthlings look for earthly joy. But you know what? The only joy that satisfies is that which is in the Lord and his presence right there with us. That's what David is exulting in. David's trust in verse 7. It says he trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High he shall not be moved. Oh, in his loving favor I shall not be moved. He will leave me never, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree planted by the water. I shall not be moved. Why is that? Because his trust is in the Lord. Now like I say, all this can refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. All this in verses 3 all the way down shows how Christ conquered it all after the cross. Now you think about it. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the most exceeding glad. And yet you read in Psalm 53, he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And yet, he is the gladdest of them all. How can a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, be the most 
gladdest. That sounds weird, gladdest. Not gladdest, but you don't understand what I'm saying. The gladness of the Lord. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus Christ had no sin. And you know what? If you had absolutely no sin in your life, there would be no sorrow at all in your life. It is sin that brings sorrow. You know what? That's why we caution people. That's why we encourage people as far as with the Word of God. It is not hate speech to tell somebody they're living in sin. It is not hate speech to tell somebody that if you're living in homosexuality or lesbianism, you're living in sin. That's, that's not hate speech. We do it because we're concerned for their soul. And the Word of God condemns it. That lifestyle, just like all other sinful lifestyles, God condemns it. And therefore, we need to caution every man and warn every man because the wrath of God is coming someday upon this earth. Sin causes sorrow, yet Christ was without sorrow. Therefore, there was great gladness. You know what? Also, sin causes regrets at times. Christ had no regrets. He accomplished the Father's will. He is sovereign over all. He knows the end from the beginning. Therefore, there is great joy that Christ has. In verses 8 through 10, the Word of God tells us here is the ultimate triumph. As David is writing here, he says, Thine hand shall find out all thine enemies. Your right hand shall find out those that hate you. And then he says, Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thine anger. Notice here, there is the time of God's anger. And when God's anger, the day of vengeance comes, we can call it the day of wrath. Here David calls it the time of his anger. At that time, the fiery wrath of God will burn like an oven and the Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath and the fire shall devour them who is the them those who despise the day of grace right now we are living in the day of grace behold today is the day of salvation but there is coming a day when God's fiery anger is going to come and devour those who despise the day of grace. Their fruit shall thou destroy from the earth and their seed from among the children of men because, here's why, they intended evil against you. They imagined a mischievous device which they were not able to perform. Therefore shalt thou make them turn their back. It's kind of like David is picturing the enemy running from the Lord's army. And when thou shalt make ready thine arrows upon thy strings against the face of them, though they're running from the wrath of God, God's arrows are pointed at their face. There is no escaping the wrath of God. And then in verse 13, what we have here, these rebels have evil intentions. There's one thing sinning in ignorance, but there is another thing when you start sinning intentionally. 
So David sees all this, he writes all this, and then he says, Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. So will we sing and praise thy power. David is praising the power of God because he's seen it firsthand. He's experienced God's presence. And therefore he says, Be thou exalted, Lord, in your own strength. Only God can really exalt himself. His own strength exalts himself, lifts himself up. We're to praise him. But David acknowledged that God exalts himself. May he be highly exalted in our life, that others can see Christ in us. In this dark and evil age we live, you know what? We got the message of hope. We've got the message of life. We got the message of light. We got the word of life. And you know what? Though the darkness seems like it grows darker, the light shining brighter and brighter in the darkness. If you turned out all the lights, it'd be pitch dark in here. But you know what? If you lit a little light, that light shines bright in darkness, don't it? You are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. Don't be hiding your light under a bushel. Let it shine to the glory of God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. It is your power unto salvation. So we pray that you would help us to take heed. Be cautious that we would not have our prayers hindered. And Lord, that we might exalt you that you might be our hope and strength, that we desire to glorify your name. May it be so all the days of our lives that others can see Christ in us, our hope of glory. Amen.